Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Floss Weekly is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Floss Weekly with Randall Schwartz and Aaron Newcomb. Episode 155 for March 2nd, 2011. Hackett Fence. It's time for Floss Weekly, the show about free, libre, open-source software. I am your host, Randall Schwartz, bringing this show as often as I can, typically weekly, occasionally with co-hosts lately because of all the wonderful cruises I've been on. Uh, speaking of co-hosts, though, let's go ahead and bring on this week's co-host from right there in the Twit Cottage, Aaron Newcomb. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Randall. Hey, you know, the last time I saw you, you were, uh, what, 400 miles further south? You were down here in L.A. with me at Scale, right? Yeah, that's right. Scale was a great conference this year. Um, it, it was, there was so much going on. In fact, I'm wearing my Scale t-shirt. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, wow. Uh, just happened to be the first thing I grabbed out of the out of the drawer this morning. But uh, <laughs> the topmost clean shirt, I know that, that exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. But uh, yeah, it was a great conference. In fact, they did a whole a whole series of uh, interviews and stuff from down there. So the next episode of the source will be all about Scale Nine X. Very good. Well, yep. we've got some really great guests on today. We've got. Uh, uh, Ludovic Marcotte, I hope I pronounced that right. They're French names that are sort of fun. Uh, he's with the Inverse uh, Company, and he is also working with uh, Olivier Bilodeau, who is a uh, another guy with a French name. <laughs> They're both working on Packet Fence, which is a, uh, from what I understand, it's a uh, like a captive portal or some way to manage your Wi-Fi access so that only the people you expect on your network are going to be on there, having a and, 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 and ability to provide authentication to things like radio and stuff. So, for example, a company might run this on their Wi-Fi to protect and make sure that only the local guys are on and, and so on. So it's a, it sounds like a really interesting project, actually. So I'm really looking forward to get this on. But before I talk about that, a couple of really brief uh, announcements uh, that have happened since the last show. Now, first off, uh, since the last episode that I was on, uh, we've had MailRoute as a sponsor for a while. And I, I, I sort of actually wanted to like put my money where my mouth is and actually check them out. And I have. I've got, enabled them for my server, and it really, really works well. I told Leo this, and he actually talked about it in some of his openings as well. But it actually has been working really well. I'll have more to say about that later, but I just wanted to kind of say MailRoute works. MailRoute.info. Go check it out. Uh, and also, if you're watching on the live video, you may see that I'm no longer at the 43rd floor of the ninth tallest building in L.A., like I often am when I'm in L.A. I'm actually on the second floor of just about the tallest building in Culver City, which is about uh, 20 miles west of that. Um, I'm at a new client. I'm actually working for Media Temple, which is one of the largest hosting companies here in the area. And uh, they've got me doing some really cool stuff already. And uh, hopefully they're actually going to give me like a, a real mic and a real headset instead of the one I just pulled from my bag real quickly. But just wanted to say, if you notice the new digs, that's why. It's probably a little more echoey too because the room is really big. Yeah, I, know um, the guys at, I know the guys at Media Temple. They're good guys. Yeah. yeah, they do a lot of sponsoring of open source uh, conferences and stuff. They use a Absolutely. ton of Perl here. Yep, they were at yeah. scale too. Yeah, and they were at scale. Yeah, the, the yep. guys uh, were, they they did most of the running of the DevOps uh, day on Friday. So uh, it's funny because I'm sitting here looking at my you know hanging out with my future employer, saying you know I'm coming in on Monday. Uh, do you guys know I'm coming in on Monday? <laughs> 
And they go, oh, no, we thought it was next Monday. And I went, no, no, I'm going right from here, right up to Culver City. So I'm glad they, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I actually got to see them at the conference over the weekend or else I wouldn't have actually been able to come in here on Monday. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I, I think it's going to be a really good gig. Uh, I'm no, I'm, I do miss being in downtown because I can't just walk to work. I actually have to drive two miles to work. But, oh, well, have a car finally. Have a car in L.A. Imagine that. Wow. Anyway, I think I've stalled long enough. Let's go ahead, uh, because that's not what people are listening to the show for. They're actually listening to the show for our guests, for our wonderful interviews with our guests. So uh, do you, are, you have any comments before we bring the guests on? Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. My only exposure to this kind of software is in hotels and airports and stuff. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how they do it with open source. Very good. Well, let's, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on our guests. So let's go ahead and bring on our guests. Let's start with Ludovic Marcotte. Ludovic, welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, we also have uh, Olivier Bilodeau. Hope I'm not mispronouncing that. That's fine. Hi, Close everyone. <laughs> so, uh, Ludovic, at the beginning of the show, I gave sort of my 30,000-foot uh, view of packet fence and tried to uh, explain what it was all about. But I'm sure I did a horrible job of it, especially since I only had 30 seconds to do it in. So, uh, But before we get into what it is, let's start with what the problem is. So let's talk about what problem you would have that we'd want to turn to packet fence to solve it. Okay. One, uh, I mean, you realize now that there are, I mean, a gazillion of devices now out there that are, let's say, trying to connect to uh, networks, being wired networks or wireless networks. And it comes uh, to be a problem more and more for organizations, being schools, companies, and uh, every institution out there, they want to secure network access. So they want to make sure that everything that connects to their network is actually allowed to be on their network. If, uh, if for example, they allow, they will be, uh, uh, they will have access to the proper resources in, uh, on the network, so servers, email servers, and stuff like that. And if they are not, they will be put into uh, a restricted network where they might only have, for example, wireless access, oh, not wireless access, sorry, but internet access. So it's really about uh, trying to figure out what is connected to your network and eventually uh, being able to enforce a network policy on everything that is connected to your network. So this is a, pa a problem that Packagens tries to resolve. And how does it do that? Well, it's, uh, it comes to uh, what is a NAC, so what is not network access control. So uh, I usually uh, describe NAC as a five-phase uh, process. The first one is uh, the registration process, where everything uh, that is connected on a network has to be registered. So PacketFence uh, is aware of every devices on the network, printers, laptops, uh, servers, everything. So... PacketFence has its own database of everything that can connect or that has connected on the network. The second thing, uh, once the registration is completed, okay, uh, PacketFence becomes uh, a transparent solution. So it doesn't interfere with nothing on the network. It will just make sure that if someone is not registered on the on the on the network, it will have to register. Uh, so, since every components out there are registered, PacketFence can now uh, be transparent and enters uh, into a mode where it listens on the network for abnormal activities. For example, you could see a virus, a spyware, or something like that on your network, and from there, it will uh, start the four-order processes, which is uh, the detection of the, the abnormal 
abnormal activity. Uh, the notification of the user that has committed the abnormal activity, so we can send in, for example, a pop-up. Once the, the user has been notified, we enter the third phase, which is the remediation. So we'll put the device that has committed the fault on the network into a quarantine network. And the last phase is the remediation. Okay, so we will present the user remediation instructions so he can gain back his network access. So when you combine those five phases, you have a network access control solution. First of all, everything that is, con is on the network needs to be registered. And from there, you can enforce your network policy while users are on your network. So, Olivier, uh, let me ask you uh, this question. Um, uh, first off, what's your relationship with the Packet Fence project? I'm uh, working as the lead developer for Packet Fence, so uh, doing everything from community management, but also uh, doing the releases and uh, doing the daily development work. Okay, so where would Packet Fence fit in the framework of things? Does this go on the actual box that is delivering the Wi-Fi, or is it further back in some sort of uh, router process between the Wi-Fi uh, base station and the actual rest of the network? Where does it fit in the process? So in the, the flow, it's actually a, a server, where a Linux server, where we install the solution. But uh, in the real flow of things, uh, the, uh, the enforcement, uh, the security enforcement is done as close as the client as possible. So, for example, in wireless networks, we integrate with the wireless equipment and the wireless will do a radius query to the packet fence server and packet fence will then return the correct uh, network posture, which we use a VLAN for, uh, to give access. On the wired side of things, we uh, work very in uh, intimately with switches. So... Uh, if you use uh, 802.1x, then it will be, uh, again, radius uh, query that will be sent to the packet fence server. But if we use another, uh, if you don't have access to 802.1x uh, switches, then uh, we will use uh, SNMP traps, so uh, port security, what we call port security, or what vendors call port security, uh, to packet fence. Packet fence will get this, the SNMP trap and then will react on it. So, uh, for example... Uh, change the VLAN of the port to put it in registration VLAN. Cool. How long is taking a, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, taking a step back a little uh, from what Ludovic said at the beginning? The really, really uh, interesting bit of packet fence is in your network now. Instead of of knowing who are on your network on an IP or MAC address base. With Packet Fence, you know who is on your network based on a username, on an authenticated user. So this is really the big uh, setting point for Packet Fence. You, I know Randall Schwartz is using uh, uh, Mac OS X on wireless. He connected on this access point. He also used uh, Linux workstation and he connected on that switch because you authenticated through the captive portal. And uh, okay, so now back to the question I was I was starting to ask: How long has Packet Fence been around, and what was its impetus to get it started? 
PacketFence started the, uh, as, uh, as a project at the Harvard University, the JFK School of Government back in 2003. Uh, three guys there developed the, the initial solution. Uh, it was open source back in 2004, I think, late 2004. And uh, Inverse uh, quickly jumped on the, on the project by, um, I mean, improving the solution. Uh, we were, uh, let's say, wondering what kind of security solution will be hot uh, five years from now. So in 2005, 2010. So uh, we tried to figure out what was uh, to become nice and cool. And uh, we discovered packet fans and we, uh, we had a, a good amount of large scale clients and we wanted to improve the solution. So it, it, wa- it will be usable in large scale networks. Uh, so that's, that's how it all started. And uh, we started uh, contributing to the solution back in 2005. And um, the Harvard University transferred up the, the, the leadership of the project uh, for its development back in 2008. So uh, that's how it started. Now, uh, what, what's in the same space as this? I know, I remember the NoCat software is probably some piece of this. Is there other things in, that, uh, in the open source space that cover this arena? The, the only thing I'm really aware of is uh, there was FreeNAC at some point, which was uh, uh, hooking into Cisco's uh, VPMS, VMPS protocol. Uh, I, I, I know that they are in maintenance mode now, not really doing any uh, development. Uh, also, only for wireless, one can think to integrate with uh, maybe uh, Wi-Fi Dog, I think is a popular project for uh, wireless, but it's, it's not, uh, it cannot handle the wired side and it's not, um, you know, really endpoint security enforcement as uh, what PacketFence does. But, you know, most of our competition is in the, uh, from the proprietary uh, software uh, companies. Uh, for instance, Cisco NAC is the, maybe our most well-known competitor. So we've, we've been, Pretty much, uh, you know, lone wolf uh, into the next space and open source. Cool. Uh, and what's the sort of scope of this? Is this something I would use if I had just like a home network and I wanted to secure my, uh, my, my Wi-Fi router so I have like my friends over and they'd have access to it? Or is this something that really doesn't make sense until you get to maybe, you know, 50 users, 1,000 users, that sort of thing? What, what, what level yeah. does this become interesting? That's a good question, Randall. Uh, the, if you were to secure, for example, your home network with, uh, let's say, five or 20 users, you will probably be looking at uh, equipment uh, that will allow you to use uh, NoCat Auth, Wi-Fi Doug, and stuff like that. Uh, PacketFence is really interesting when the network starts to be a little bit bigger, let's say 100 and, or 200 computers or nodes that we call. Uh, that's where it becomes interesting. So having a few manageable switches, a few... Uh, intelligent access point or access point with the wireless controllers so uh, you st- when you, you when you you count a couple of those you start having uh, an interesting network let's say 200 250 computers uh, that's where packet fence uh, starts to be interesting uh, but it doesn't end there i mean uh, the solution has been deployed by ourselves or by others in environments that counts uh, 100 and th- 100 uh, uh, 1000 switches sorry and 2 3000 access points so it's a solution that scales uh, very very well it does work very well also uh, on small networks like i've described but it really isn't uh, the solution to secure let's say your wireless home equipment so we we talked a little bit about this already but what 
how does this look for the user, right? When they go to log in, are they, are they going to, is this like, I'm, I'm thinking of um, uh, when I'm in the airport, for example, or a hotel where I've got a web page that I've got to go through to get internet access. Does it work like that? Or how does the, how does it interface with the user? It, uh, it, it works like that, Aaron. Uh, it works uh, or it interface with the user through a captive portal. So let's say uh, the, the very basic workflow uh, of the, the, the five phases of NAC, let's say the, the registration part. I arrive at, uh, at your network that is secured by packet fence. I plug my computer in. So I plug uh, the, the RG45 jack or I associate to your wireless network. Since packet fence doesn't know me, he will the packet fence solution will put me uh, into what we call a registration VLAN. So the registration VLAN, everything that I do in, in this particular VLAN, let's say uh, HTTP activity with the Firefox, it will get redirected to the the packet fence captive portal. So every request web request I do will will get redirected to the packet fence captive portal. From there, you're presented with a web page which uh, on which you can uh, I mean. They explain your network policy usage. Uh, you can, uh, for example, allow guests to register their equipment. You can allow administrator of your network to register devices and stuff like that. So you're brought to a captive portal, essentially. You register your equipment. So when, when you do that, you provide something, username and password, your phone number, uh, whatever you have to 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 uh, to, to uh, uh, provide in order to register, and this is of course uh, it varies from clients to uh, or users to, uh, to uh, others because some some might want to authenticate against an LDAP server, others against a database server, others they want to go through cellular phone numbers. It depends. But once you have registered your equipment, you have provided something and a username, for example, and that ties. The equipment that you're registering, it ties it to yourself. So packet fence knows at this point, once once the device has been re- registered, that Ludovic, the the MacBook of Ludovic uh, that he used to register is belonging to Ludovic. So wherever that laptop goes on the network, it will be associated to me. So this is good. And once I've been registered, I now have proper access. So the real network or just a network for guests, whatever. Packet fence become transparent. So if I unplug and I go to another one of your other location that is secured by packet fence, packet fence will recognize me and will always put me in the right network. So you can have a shared database. If I have 10 sites, for example... Um, is that how, is that how that works? I have a, maybe I have a centralized database somewhere and, and it goes back and authenticates, uh, against that. Absolutely. Uh, even if you were to have uh, 10 sites, you wouldn't need to have 10 packet fence servers. Okay. Uh, packet fence supports uh, what we call routed networks. So you can basically have, I mean, 10 locations, 25 locations, doesn't matter. Uh, if they are all routed back to a centralized location, you could have one packet fence server securing your entire network. Wow. That's great. So to be uh, buzzword enabled, uh, it works across WANs. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then what about, um, so you said that, you know, that, that the packet fence software will recognize my laptop, for example, my operating system. I mean, this doesn't really do, do anything. If someone, if I walk away to lunch and leave my laptop 
logged in, someone can always, you know, sneaker net behind me and, and, and use the computer. Right. I mean, is there, is there timeout features that you can add to try to protect against some of that? Yes. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, let's say, uh, I, I, I walk out to get a, co- a coffee and you jump on my computer and you try to do something. Of course, packet fence will have no way of telling, I mean, who is, uh, is using the computer. Maybe later when we will be able to use a webcams and do some funky stuff, <laughs> but not, <laughs> not for now. Right. So, uh, uh, but with regard to the registration process, when someone registers pieces of equipment, uh, you can have a, a, let's say, a registration time where a guest might uh, might might register his equipment, but it, the registration might be valid only for a day. So if you come get, if you come back uh, the the day later, a day after, or two days after, he will have to go to registration again. Right. So his, his username and password might not be valid anymore. While a normal employee uh, or a student on a campus, uh, you might want to register their equipment for uh, as long as they are studying at the university. Right. And I'm assuming it's fairly easy to set this up for different networks. So, for example, if I'm at a company and I want all of the wired uh, plugs, right, to be to be free and open um, and not have because I'm assuming that the people working there are are employees. Right. It's a closed office with 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 badge access and whatever. So I'm assuming that all those people are are my employees and they're trusted. I'm assuming it's fairly easy then at that point to like make the wireless, for example, packet, you know, packet fence uh, protected. Absolutely. Uh, packet fence can be used to secure only one switch port of your entire network. Wow. So it really, it really manages uh, security by ports. So what you say, Aaron, is right. You could, for example, uh, have packet fence deployed uh, on your network just to secure ports that are in conference rooms. For example, right. so people that comes in and they uh, they do a presentation, they want to have like uh, internet access only. They will plug in. They will have access to the cap- the packet fence captive portal. They will register their equipment as a guest, uh, and they will have internet access. Yeah. If they do something stupid when they are uh, doing their presentation, packet fence will catch them in the back, and you will be able to. I mean, move them out of your network. This right. is an important feature of packet fence. Right, exactly. And then what about, um, you know, pay systems? Uh, you know, I keep going back in my head to the, the hotel or the airport example where uh, sometimes companies will charge you, you know, for, for a certain amount, a certain time of access, right? So does this integrate well with, with payment services as well so that people can use this as a, as a mechanism to, to, to um, uh, charge people for, for limited time access? Yeah, you know, this market never approached us, so we never did any development for it. But uh, the uh, accountability uh, feature is all there in uh, what we get from the the controllers. So it's definitely something we could develop. But, you know, as a a business, we're uh, open source, so we're giving our our bits uh, for free. So we need to be really customer-driven, and no one has come up with such a use case to us yet. Right, but and we would definitely be interested. And I suppose that since it is open source, if a if a corporation wanted to take it and do something like that, I mean, they could always take the, the code and, and develop something on top of it themselves. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Now I see you guys won a Bossy Award. Is that correct? Yes, we did uh, back in uh, in two thousand and eight. Uh, we uh, or nine, sorry, two thousand and nine. We uh, we won a Bossy. 
Uh, and recently, uh, the CIO magazine uh, uh, selected PacketFence as one of the five uh, solutions to watch for 2011. Uh, and it was actually uh, the number one uh, solution to watch for security project, which was pretty cool. And in 2010, last year, we won again a Golden Tax Award from Tech Republic. So the solution is getting recognized more and more. And it, it, it's great for, uh, for, for the PacketFence project and for us uh, that we are... Uh, I mean, developing the solution and working pretty hard on it. Right, right. Now, um, I got a couple more questions. One is, uh, you know, does what is what does this run on? So we talked about the kind of hardware you need, but I mean, in terms of OS support, uh, are we talking a Linux only um, here, or or could I use a Windows server to implement this as well? No, so far uh, our supported platform is Linux, uh, and we are really. Um, you know, because of our situation, we rely on other external demons, uh, Apache, FreeRadius, uh, SNMP TrapD. Uh, so we, we kind of, uh, to be more uh, performant or to release quicker, we've been focusing a lot on CentOS as a platform. Mm -hmm. So right now, out of the box, you can install on CentOS. Uh, we plan, uh, uh, it is deployable on other Linuxes, but it needs uh, more work if you want. And we plan on having Debian packages and Ubuntu packages uh, in the, the next few months. It's uh, on the roadmap. Okay. So uh, Windows, it, it could be possible uh, for, for Windows because it's all Perl. So it's portable. But uh, again, it's all about the integration with the various demons that we rely on. Right, right. So, I mean, I'm fine with it being Linux only, believe me. But I, I always like to ask the <laughs> questions because some of the listeners... Um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people run Windows, but it, it makes a lot of sense to have Linux only because that's what's running on a lot of Wi-Fi devices and 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 backend security, LDAP servers, things like that run a lot of uh, yes, and Linux and, and I run just by the way, even if you. Uh are a Windows shop. Uh, what we offer also, uh, we offer the, the, the downloadable version for CentOS, but we also have what we call the Zen, the Zero Effort NAC, which is virtual. Uh, it's a virtual appliance, so it's a VMware appliance of PacketFence that is installed and configured, and you can you can install that into a Windows environment, so you can basically boot a virtual machine that is, uh, of course, it's running Linux, but even if your entire network is using Windows machine, Active Directory, and stuff like that, you can boot the VM and from there integrate uh, that virtual machine into your Windows-based environment. Right. So there's no problem with that. Right. Now, one, one more question um, uh, is, I noticed, Ludovic, that you work for a company, I think, called Inverse. And I'm not yeah. sure if we've talked about that. What's the connection there between Inverse and PackEffense? Yeah, well, uh, Inverse is a company uh, that took leadership of the of the Packet Fence project uh, back in 2008. Uh, Inverse, uh, we we uh, we started back in '98. Uh, in 2003, we uh, we uh, created an open source division uh, within Inverse, and from there we have pretty much been the leader in Quebec for open source software development and deployment. Uh, we uh, In 2003, when we started, we were very strong uh, at doing uh, email migration, installation, and stuff like that. And we started in 2005. Uh, we, we wanted to differentiate ourselves from other players by creating solutions. So uh, that's, what, that's how we jumped uh, into PacketFence project. We also jumped on the Sogo project, 
which is a, a nice groupware solution. I'm sure we will have the, the, the opportunity to, to talk about Sogo in another, uh, in another episode. Uh, but inverse, what, what we do is we develop uh, PacketFence and Sogo. We gave those solutions away for free. Uh, both of solutions are entirely free, uh, released under the JPL, and we do not have a commercial slash proprietary version built on top of those versions. You have only one version, which is, I mean, the, the free version. And inverse, what we do is uh, we provide uh, integration services, support services, or development services around those solutions. So this is how we make money, and uh, it has been working pretty well. Okay, okay. Now, I just... Uh I, I was just—I've been sitting here chomping at the bit. I heard the word Perl earlier. So, <laughs> are you telling me this is in Perl? Is this all in Perl? Yep, all in Perl, except a little bit of PHP that I'm trying to phase out, which is the administration portal. But uh, we're getting rid of PHP for more Perl. Now, th this was originally done. You said at Harvard, was it? So they started with Perl on this. Yep, they did. And and you know why they chose Perl? Was it just the best language of the time and the best language forever? That kind of thing. <laughs> you know what? I really I really don't know why they did they, they uh, chose Perl in the beginning. But for us, I can tell you why Perl has been very productive. Because uh, you know we we are uh, as Ludovic said, our business model is is focused a lot on um, support services and uh, custom development and. Mm -hmm. Because of the Perl nature that uh, dynamic language don't have to compile and everything, we've been able, you know, to uh, SSH into uh, customer environments remotely, perform hot fixes uh, right in the in the code, and then bring back, you know, the the the, the patches if if they are uh, upstreamable, if you allow me the expression. Yes. So. Uh, Perl really allowed us to uh, be very, very, uh, you know, focused and pragmatic and uh, uh, bringing a lot of value quickly uh, for developer time. Uh, also, we leverage, I don't know how many CPAN modules. I think it's more than 100. Wow. Uh, Yum install, uh, Packet mm. Fence uh, will show you. Uh, we, we really also uh, uh, benefit from the great NetSNMP uh, Perl bindings. Uh, we use Mud Pearl for the captive portal, so there are a lot, a lot of good stuff uh, that that because of Pearl we leveraged. And uh, you know, in uh, another life, I was a Java developer, and I, 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 yes, you know, there's a big uh, static versus dynamic debate, but I mean, with enough tests, you can really, you know, uh, win the best of both worlds. I think uh, with Pearl. So you do have so tests. That's always useful, right? Sorry? You do have tests, I presume, yes. Yes, yes, and I keep adding more and more. Uh, I'm really uh, trying to sell, uh, you know, the, the testing uh, stuff and the, why it's important. Yeah, for a dynamic language, it's necessary. Absolutely, but it also serves a lot of the things that uh, static languages don't test for, so that's the advantage of having tests in a dynamic language environment. What's the development process like? Is there like, a, are there, is it only people within Inverse that are really contributing to this, or do you have a development community that's sharing a repository or just accept patches or what's what's the structure so uh we we have a, uh, everything is public our code repository is uh, we use monoton which is a mm -hmm. not well known uh, repository but uh yeah so it's uh, public we have a public bug tracker public mailing lists uh 
unfortunately, we haven't had any uh, external people from Enverse with Comet Access. It's not because of uh, you know our business. I think it's because people are not. It's not a sexy project to hack on because it's it's too enterprisey. So we've mm -hmm. been trying to attract developers. We had uh, big patch sets uh, contributed, but no no uh, reoccurring contribution that would make it worthwhile to uh, give you know uh, external access. But I'm I'm really working uh, hard to try to solve that problem and have external people you know host their branch uh, in our our public code repository. But most of the time, uh, the the development is uh, really centralized in the the bug tracker. Uh, mm -hmm. We file a feature request there issues and we discuss them on the mailing list uh, so it's a really true open source project uh, from the ground up now when people are taking this and bringing it into their own organization i presume there's more than just configuration i presume that a lot of people are also customizing this is that done via plugins or are people just modifying the source code or what's what's the mechanism for that it, uh, it evolved gradually over time, but uh, we have, uh, since the beginning, a couple of uh, extension points where you, you, you provide uh, you know, an object that will override the, the behavior, and it's kind of a sort of a plug-in mechanism. Uh, but, and I'm, I took that approach, and I'm pushing it into other directions uh, so we can you know, override the captive portal, custom behavior, uh, and, and uh, etc., what most people modify, though, is still you know the look and feel of the captive portal. And for this, uh, HTML uh, templates using uh, TT and uh, CSS. So with CSS, you can do a lot of, st of uh, stuff. Uh, so uh, this has been uh, working well also. Did I also hear that you're using template toolkit there? Yep, yep, exactly. We're using template toolkit for the HTML. The, the one and only real template tool language for the Perl, although there's 72 other ones. I really like template toolkit. It seems to have the right mix of good and bad and evil all in one spot. Do you ever get any pushback from your clients, customers, users that, uh, oh, my God, I wish it was in Ruby instead? I, well, not me, but, uh, you know, the thing is most of our users are network guys. So okay. they don't even, you know, dig that uh, that into the solution. They don't even, most of them know it's in Perl. You know, they don't really care as long as it works. This is another point where we might have uh, had a problem attracting developers is because we always deal with network people and mm -hmm. not developers. But, uh, you know... The, the, the rare network guys that do program, uh, they, they really dig Perl, too. <laughs> Well, I've noticed that because, you know, Perl being the darling language of the uh, Internet and still providing most of the Internet backbone infrastructure stuff, um, you know, yeah. and it, this is actually a good match for that because network, network administrators, network people are actually using this thing. Um, so, but most people, you say, are actually just editing the template toolkit code and making nice different uh, interfaces for the portals. Is that what, how most people configure this? From what we can see on the, the mailing list and our customers, yes. Uh, what? had um, a lot of traction lately is the various uh, approaches to handling guests. This uh, we work on uh, quite a bit, but I'm kind of uh, doing a, a feature branch for that and we will merge it back in. But there are a lot of customization that went into uh, guest handling because mm -hmm. there are a lot of different use cases. Uh, but uh, aside from that, seriously, uh, I I don't think a lot of people modify it that much away from the captive portal. And 
We've got some external contribution, for example, access control in the administration panel. This was contributed as a, you know, a big patch and, and uh, it worked well. Uh, one other thing that uh, where we uh, we receive uh, uh, let's say patches uh, is the packet fences uh, as as you understand now it, it talks to switches it talks to uh, Cisco switches uh, or wireless controllers uh, packet fence architecture uh, allows us to uh, offers the same functionalities uh, over any uh, or probably pretty much over any network vendors. So the, the structure, the framework behind packet fence allows uh, network vendors or even, uh, let's say, uh, users of those network vendors' equipment to develop uh, support for their equipment in packet fence. So we received in the past uh, packet fence modules that add functionality in packet fence to secure that networking equipment. So let's say there is a new uh, Cisco switch that packet does not support. There is a guy that uh, that got it uh, on his enterprise network. He knows Perl. It's pretty easy for him to go through our developer guide and add support for this switch in Packet Fence and contribute us the module. Now, Ludovic, you, you must, as a as a businessman, uh, at least uh, for this company, um, have a, you know the, the the nature of something like this is that the users of this aren't necessarily software developers, and and just as uh, uh, Olivia was pointing at. You know that typically people will take this and and not really have anything to contribute back to you. Did that did that ever concern you about having an open source company where you weren't really getting contributions back from your customers? Uh, we you know uh, uh, Randall, we do get a contribution in in some ways because when uh, when uh, we deploy packet fence and we uh, sometimes run into a client that wants uh, to have a specific feature or uh, I don't know they want to have for example the the a new guest uh, portal registration mechanism uh, we offer the client uh, let's say two solutions. One of them is uh, he pays uh, for it and he keeps it. Uh, and if he does, he's going to pay the full price. Uh, mm. And if he, he wants, we can charge him a reduced rate where we will develop that feature at a reduced rate and we will put that contribution back into the open source project. So it's, it's kind of a way to get contribution from our, for, for the clients. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a win-win scenario. It's, it's a win for us because we get paid for doing the development. It's a win for the client because he gets his feature at a reduced price. And it's a win for the Packet Fence Community Project because they get a feature for free. Now, what's the threshold at which somebody would have to pay then? If this is open source software, where do I have to start actually forking over bucks to put this in my company? Uh, can you repeat the question? Sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. so when, what's the threshold at which somebody would have to pay then? Is it, I mean, if I want to put this in my company here, uh, where would I, at what point do I have to pay? It's open source software, right? Oh, Randall, you do not have to pay. I mean, everybody out there can download the solution, install it following our documentation and, and be fine with it. I mean, tons of people have done that uh, uh, all over the world. But sometimes uh, people, uh, they, they want to have the solution uh, installed and ready uh, in two weeks from now with uh, two portals uh, to, uh, to customize the registration process. They want to have their wireless equipment secure 
secure, their wired equipment secured, uh, they want to have training and stuff like that. So it's a real project. I mean, it's it's a, it's an endeavor to deploy a NAC solution. It's not something that is simple uh, to deploy as other solution. It really is an endeavor. So uh, when people are looking at NAC solutions and they consider packet fence and they, they want to have the solution ready very very quickly, that's that's when they will call inverse. Oh, so they will they'll select you as being, you know, you send a team of people in to train the local administrators and network guys and also to actually look at the hardware, make sure it's suitable, install the software, get it configured the way they want it to, all as some sort of pricey deal. Yeah, Absolutely. And we also have uh, what we call support contracts, okay, ticket base, where people will uh, install the solution by themselves uh, all around the world, but they want to have uh, commercial support in case there is something wrong that happens at 2 a.m on the Sunday night. So they will, at that time, pick up the phone, call Inverse, and we, they will have an engineer uh, on the end of the line that will help them go, uh, going through the issue they have. So we do offer 24-7 commercial support for packet fence. And I can imagine for some clients, like uh, my client right here, has uh, I'm actually on their wireless network and uh, they have two wireless networks, one for public and one for private, but maybe with something like pa- uh, packet fence, they could have just one uh, radio solution and have it so that people would log in with some sort of guest portal if their MAC address wasn't identified or something, right? Yeah, you could have something like that for sure. For sure. And and even if it's on your wireless network, you could transpose that on your wire network and have the same kind of portal for registration. So if your wireless network goes down and your guests still want to have uh, network access, well, they could plug in uh, the, on, the, on the wire network and have, uh, let's say, the captive portal again or be right in on the right networks. Could uh, could I could they have wired up the uh, wired network here then so that if anybody plugs in and they're not a recognized MAC address or maybe some other authentication that it would go to the uh, cordoned off uh, Bastion network for public access only. Yes, absolutely. It's it's all about customization. So Packet Fence wow. does the basic, okay? And once we sit down or whenever someone uh, uh, wants to deploy the solution, they got to ask themselves the same question you just did. What's going to happen when someone plugs his computer or connects to our wireless network? What, what are we going to show him? What are we going to uh, provide him? How are we going to provide him network access code and stuff like that? Packet Fence has all the logic, all the functionalities, you just need to ties uh, the various uh, uh, wires in the solution to uh, to customize it for your needs, and it, it just works. I mean, uh, and it, it starts, it, it's starting to work very, very well, and uh, Inverse has been contacted uh, over the past few months many times to replace uh, commercial slash propriety versions. So, lots of people are asking us to move away from Cisco NAC or Forescout CounterHack, because those Solution might not work as well as uh, I mean they they will thought they will uh, they were working first uh, and it's good for it's, it's good for the project it, it means that we have done a good job. How well is the uh, Perl also, code documented? Also talking about the the competition, you know, most of them have a licensing model based on uh, per IP or stuff like that. You know, so when you come with a completely free, as in speech and free as in beer solution that mm-hmm. costs, you know, zero to run after the box has been deployed, uh, it's uh, it's it's a big big competitive advantage for us. So sorry if I interrupted you. What was your question? Oh, the question was how well documented is the Perl code. 
Uh, you know what? I, I think I'm doing a fairly good job. Uh, maybe you should go and uh, grind, uh, have a look at the, our uh, mtn.inverse.ca. Uh, okay. Because I, I really try to document, uh, you know, the obscure bits are documented and otherwise uh, it should all uh, make sense. I'm, uh, I, I, I think I do an okay job, I would say. <laughs> Very good, very good. Uh, I'm using, so I'm using, by the way, uh, a pod doc all over the place, and uh, we generate the HTML files for the pod, and we put it up on our website. Uh, every like minimum firmware version for uh, switches and stuff like that is all documented. So uh, I put really a lot of effort into documentation. We're now um, lately we've been migrating our developer guide to a docbook instead of. Um, of uh, open office because we I can maintain it in monotone in uh, our uh, code repository which I like more because I can do patches and diffs and stuff so you know I'm really uh, I think documentation oriented very cool and uh, I, I, I see in the notes you sent me uh, moose are you using moose are you migrating to it <laughs> no no I, it's just, it was just to uh, trick with you but uh, oh. you know I, just to show you I'm, I'm following what's coming with Perl 6 and uh, I know moose is a path to uh, you know, for for this, and so I've been looking at it. No chance to use it yet because I haven't done any new things to the object model. But uh, just to say that I'm definitely trying to follow Perl best practices, and uh, Moose might uh, come into packet fence at some point. Well, we appreciate that definitely. But people using modern uh, Perl techniques are making Perl look less and less ugly. We hope as time goes on. Although there's people out there, the naysayers that'll say Perl looks evil no matter what it looks like. But uh, hey, you know they're, they're just they're just they're just the haters. It's okay. Hey, uh, so of course I have to. Uh, I, I'm running out of time here, so I want to ask you, of course, the the big most important question: Emacs or VI? So for me, it's VI, VI oh! all the way. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, for me it's for me it's Emacs. Yay! So uh, no. at Inverse Yay! we have two teams. Uh, we have two. We are a team of fifteen people, and uh, it's pretty much split across uh, uh, Sogo and PacketFence. And the Sogo teams is Emacs oriented, and the the PacketFence teams is VI oriented. <laughs> but you know what? You know what, Randall? It's it can even get worse. We have some people here who works with Nano. Oh, oh, please. No, 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 no. Just say no oh. to that. All right. But anyway, uh, so uh, as I said, we're just running out of time here. So uh, uh, Ludovic, anything last words you want us to tell our audience? Yeah, I, I guess uh, as you uh, as we discuss, uh, we work with uh, network vendor equipment. So we now support almost uh, or more than 20 networking vendors out there, Cisco and Razis, uh, Aruba and stuff like that. So if you are a networking vendor out there, uh, uh, have a look at the Packet Fence project and contact us in order for uh, so for us to work with you uh, and add support for your networking equipment. It will benefit everybody, including you and uh, the Packet Fence project. So, and uh, same question, Olivier. Yes, uh, I would, would like to say that uh, we're about to release 2.1 soon, which is probably going to be released uh, this week or early next week. Uh, also, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, PacketFence, so at sign PacketFence. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're also looking for Google Summer of Code students. Uh, we, ha we are doing the uh, mentorship, uh, applying for mentorship right now. So if you are interested in Perl and networking, uh, prepare your uh, your GSOC uh, form for us. 
Oh, I have one last question. Sorry, I skipped over it in my notes. Uh, license and why? Either license. Uh, the license? You mean uh, uh, the, the license fence. is used by packet fence? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's GPL. So uh, GPL. It's, a, it's a model that we have been uh, truly believing uh, in since, uh, I mean, 2003 for sure. But I've been a, a free uh, software developer for uh, almost 20 years now. And uh, I believe in, the, in this model. And that's why we do not have a commercial slash propriety version built on top of our solution. We believe in this. And everything that we do is released uh, either on the JPL or the LGPL license. Very good. Very good. Well, sorry to throw that last one question at you oh, at the end there, but I just wanted to make sure they got that in there. So everybody was curious about that. So I want to take, thank you guys. I think we might have lost oh. Randall. Yeah, that's okay. Hey, thanks guys for coming on. I'll go ahead <laughs> and close you. up. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, uh, we pre- really appreciate you coming on and sharing with the audience. Thank you, uh, Aaron. It was a pleasure for us to be on the show. All right, great. I, yeah. I, I'm excited about this. I, I, you know, uh, like I said, I use these kind of things all the time at hotels and airports and and whatever. So, I mean, I think it's a I think it's a really great system for making sure that you know who's using your network. So, we really appreciate it and hope everyone goes to packetfence.org to check it out. Okay, thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye. Goodbye. Well, I think I'm back. Hello. <laughs> a little drop out there. Hopefully the audience didn't catch that, but uh uh so that yeah, interesting project. I I appreciate the fact that uh we have uh uh, people in here looking in this space, and it's—he's it's, right. There's a lot of commercial solutions out there that are really trying to capture this space. And it's really nice that you have this industrial grade, industrial strength, uh, open source solution, so you can download it and adapt it and adopt it and make it to work the way you want to. And of course, extra bonus points for it being in Perl. That was really nice. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised that it was written in Perl. I, I wasn't expecting that, but I guess it makes sense, especially given all the security libraries and things that you can get. Um, out of CPAN and, and, and make use of. So, um, you know, I, I think it does make sense from a security standpoint for them to use Perl. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to give you some, some, uh, positive energy there. Oh, well, I like it for the fact, I, you know, what I like they said is that they use a lot of CPAN modules. And that really, you know, as I've said over and over again, the Perl's main strength isn't necessarily that it's the best, cleanest language to work in and to manipulate and modify, although it's very self-reflective and very scalable and stuff. But the big killer feature of Perl that still nobody comes close to is the CPAN. Yeah. I mean, even today, uh, there are something like 40 or 50 modules a day being uploaded to the CPAN. And that... That is double what it was in 1999. Right. So it means there's more people doing more things with Perl today than there was during the heyday of the web. And most people don't get that about Perl. Sure, the whole market has gotten huge. And Perl's a smaller percentage of the market. But the percentage that is now is still bigger than the total amount that was being done in Perl before. Right. And yep. Perl is far from dead. So yep. I, I, I go on that all day. You know yeah. That. No, I mean, it's, it's my first choice. Uh, I, I don't code as much as I used to, but it's my first choice, maybe because that's what I'm used to. But uh, Perl libraries, the the CPAN libraries were always a big, it's like, okay, I want to do this. You know, you, you kind of lay out your project. I want to do this, 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 and this. And then it's like, okay, how much of this can I do out of CPAN? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's a huge time saver. Uh, it's like it's like it gives you all the assembly blocks. You're not exactly. building everything from scratch. Exactly. Now, sure, Ruby's coming along, Python's coming along. Uh, you know, th- these other languages are sort of uh, f- 
creating their own sort of shareable thing. But I still think even the CPAN is a little bit easier to use than the other systems are. Although Ruby's close. Ruby, uh, they got it real, real close with all the, uh, the, the, the gems and stuff and the way they got that all figured out. So yeah. uh, good stuff. Uh, all good stuff. Glad I had these guys on the show this week. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of guys on the show every week, I'm going to look at my upcoming list here, as I often do at this point in the show. Looks like we've got next week. Oh, next week, I'm not here because I am out on... My God, yet another cruise ship. So <laughs> how many cruise weeks have I had, Aaron, in the last uh, like 12 weeks? I think it's been like every other week just about. Well, it's, uh, it's an unfair amount. I can tell you that right now because I haven't got to go on any cruises. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can solve that, you know, if you uh, want right. to come on one of the uh, stuff that, that I'm doing. It's InsightCruises.com. We have great programs going on. Uh, not to give them too much of a plug, but uh, they do pay a little bit of my paycheck from time to time. And uh, we're with uh, Sky and Telescope Magazine next week. We're going to Arecibo in Puerto Rico. We're going to actually go to the big radar dish that you might have seen in Contact and uh, one of those Bond movies. And uh, if it's anything like the last couple times we've been there, we actually get to drive down and do a private tour and we get to actually reach up and touch the dish. That is so cool. That is just awesome to be able to like, actually be at the dish and go, yeah, I've touched that big giant 26-acre dish. Uh, okay, maybe it's just me. Anyway, so uh, while I'm not here, we've got Dan Walsh coming in talking about SE Linux. He's going to have Dan Lynch is going to interview him and I don't know who the co-host is. Maybe it's you, Aaron. I don't know. Maybe. Might be somebody. Could be. You never know. <laughs> Has he asked you yet? We don't know yet. So, uh, Dan, we'll sort that out by next week, I'm sure. Uh, I'll be back the following week. Michael Yap of Yogit, Jogit, something like that, uh, is going to uh, talk with me. Uh, Jogit is a um, uh, rich browser experience, cross-platform experience that does a lot of really, really cool animations and interactions, a really deep experience uh, right there in the browser. Darren Schreiber is going to talk to me with the 2600 Hertz project, which is all open source telephone things from top to bottom, things like Asterisk and Free Switch and everything else that works in there. Uh, Gilad Braca joins me after that to talk about New Speak. New Speak is a language that's small talk-like but takes it to the next level, being able to create very complex, rich systems that have limited scopes. You can run them in a sandbox and things like that. Uh, I haven't started my Q2 scheduling yet, but when I do, I'll have a lot more guests to announce. If you go to twitch.tv slash floss, you'll see a spreadsheet linked from there that has all the upcoming guests, including potential guests. If you have a potential guest, a potential project that you're really interested in, but you don't see them on the list there, mail me, Merlin at Stonehenge.com. Have the project leader mail me. Don't just send me a request that says, boy, you know, it'd be great if Project X was on this list because I don't have time to do the research to figure out who to contact and get them motivated and stuff. But I tell you, it really works well to have the project leaders email me because they're excited about being on the show because you've already shared your enthusiasm with them. Really works the best. So if you want your favorite project on this show, you have the project leader email me. And yes, I have a backlog of about 40 email messages that I haven't incorporated into the list. So if you don't see it on there, it might just be that I haven't had time after all these cruises to come back and actually go through all my inbox mail. So uh, be be uh, be aware of that. Uh, also, uh, so I'm, I already said I'm on a cruise next week. I've got that on my notes to say as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N. If you were following me on Twitter, you would know that, for example, Friday night this week, uh, if you're watching this live, I'll be doing karaoke at the Backstage Bar just in uh, Culver City here where I'm staying. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Apparently, that is a huge place to do karaoke here in town. So I'm really looking forward to this. Drop by there last night for their happy hour specials, and it looks like a really cool dive bar. 
If I can live stream from there, I will. Uh, also, if you just happen to be around in the L.A. area, I'm spending most of my time here these days. So follow me on Twitter and you can find out where I am. And where can we find you, Aaron, when you're not at the Twit Cottage? Yes, you can always go to thesourceshow.org. That's the URL. Go there for um, upcoming podcasts. I've got some podcasts coming out uh, very soon. So uh, keep an eye on that website. And you can always follow me on Twitter uh, or Facebook at uh, Aaron Newcomb, just uh, all one word, Aaron Newcomb, or go to AaronNewcomb.com. So I've got it covered from all angles. So if you want to you follow me and see what I'm doing, go to any of those sources and you will, uh, you'll get it there. Very good. And Aaron, thanks once again for coming all the way into the Twit Cottage from your home abode there in the yeah. Silicon Valley somewhere. Very early and- in the morning. Yeah, I know. Uh, good old uh, iPad announcement pushed just uh, an hour earlier than a normal taping. So uh, Aaron's a little bleary-eyed. I am yes. a little bleary-eyed, too. I'm trying to get all the rest of the caffeine in me here, but we'll see if we can make that all happen. But, uh, hey, we did make it happen. So I guess uh, there's nothing more to say than uh, we'll see you again next time on Floss Weekly. Floss Weekly.